heart knew that we would need a redeemer, that humanity would need a savior. And oftentimes in the minds of men, we think God needs us. I hope during this month, we can bring it out very clearly that man desperately needs Jesus Christ. Understand this, God doesn't need your praise, he doesn't need your worship. You need to understand that there was a time in which no one praised him in a sense. There was no worship taking place in a sense. We need to understand this of the thought of man. In the mind of man, man always thinks that evil has always been present with good. That sin is something that has always been around and we put it on the same coin sometime that uh, goodness and evil coexist throughout eternity. And I want to challenge that thought because the scripture does. The scripture does. In our minds, yes, we may think that evil and goodness have coexisted down through the ages, from the very beginning. But the Bible refutes that thought. Sin has not always existed. Evil has not always existed. And it has its time, it has its beginning, and it will also have its end. And we're not going to go to it, but if you were to read chapter 20 and 21, you will see the end of sin. So, in, so sin comes to an end. And especially when you start into Revelations 21 and verse 1, when he says that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the reason he creates a new heaven and a new earth, because sin had taken place in heaven and Satan had been on earth. Sin had been in heaven and on earth. And God says in Revelation 21.1, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Therefore, sin, Satan or sin, will never have his footprint. Will never have his footprint. The Bible doesn't tell us much of the time before creation. For creation itself to have taken place, stay with me now. For creation itself to have taken place, there had to be something before creation. There had to be something before creation. Go with me to Genesis. The wife didn't know I was going to start off there in Genesis, but go to Genesis 1 and 2. What I'm going to try to paint for you a little bit is this here. In the early part of this message, I'm, I'm going to try to paint an awesome God, a picture of an awesome God. 
Because in our culture and in our society, somehow we think we're doing God a favor if we show up on Sunday morning. That somehow we're doing something for God if we get up and we come out and we praise him and we worship him. That somehow in our mind, we think somehow we have won a brownie point or we've done something outstanding in the sight of God. And somehow we have twisted and in our imagination of this God that we have, we're not seeing the biblical God. And somehow I want to somehow in this month get us back to seeing, if possible, this wonderful God that we serve. And it's important that we get a biblical sense of him. Yes, we will use our imagination some, but it will be tied to scripture. When we use our imagination of God and it's not tied to scripture, it's just wishful thinking. And oftentimes it goes into mysticism and spiritualism. And we have to tie it back into what scripture says. And catch our vision from scripture of who he is. And how he does what he does. In Genesis 1, it gives us a little glimpse of him. And oftentimes we just bypass it. And we don't give much thought to it. For in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, in the beginning God, in the beginning God, just think of that for a moment. In the beginning God. If you have your Bibles, just really look at it. In the beginning God. Nothing else. God. Now, I, I want to bring to your mind this. When we talk about God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For when you get into verse 2, it says the spirit hover over. So the spirit was there. And when you get into St. John, it said in the beginning the word. So the word was with God in the very beginning. So the triune God is there. And later on in Genesis 1.26, we're going to see where it says, let us make man. So here's this triune God existing in and of itself. Having no need of any outside support. Nothing external of itself. That God is existing in and of himself. Understand this. God doesn't need a heaven to exist. God didn't need a earth to exist. In the beginning, God. Get that in our thoughts. Get that in our minds. For the heavens was created for a dwelling place of his angels and of humanity. Not for him. For in the very beginning he existed and understand this with nothing. We can't exist without our iPads. We can't exist without our phones. We can't exist without the air we breathe. We can't exist without the food we eat. We can't exist without the water. But here's God existing 
Catch that picture of him with nothing to support him. That's what makes him God. That he's all sufficient in and of himself. And that's hard for us to get up here and understand and picture this God who doesn't need my praise, doesn't need my worship, doesn't need me, but out of love he creates. Out of who he is he creates. But what he creates he has no need of per se. We don't exist to make God feel comfortable or to support him. But what we don't understand is this, we desperately need him. For our very existence, we desperately need him. In the beginning, God, all by himself, nothing, no heaven, no earth, nothing, no air, no water, nothing, no food, God. God, catch that picture. God. But we have a desperate need of him. Turn with me to Job 26.7. Job 26.7. Understand what Job is going to say here in this verse. Because we talk about the world being hung out here on nothing and so forth. And we talk about the world spinning on its axis. You know that globe you look at? Usually when you look at the globe, it also has a bar around it with something running through the middle, kind of like holding this world that you spend on. But Job is going to describe something. It's amazing when men get out in space. Remember that yo-yo you used to throw out there? And it comes back, it had a string to it. Remember that ball that you used to hit, that tether ball? It had a, like a rope that would hang from it. Most of us have never been up in space. But I want you to picture this awesome God who speaks and hangs earth out on nothing. That hangs earth out on nothing. Job 26, verse 7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. What kind of space? Empty space. We can't begin to even recognize. Empty space. He just hangs it out there. And it stays. It don't fall. You take a basketball. You take a tennis ball. And you put it out there and move your hand. What happens to it? But here's God. He takes that thing that is similar to a ball that is round. And he just puts it out there in nothing. And it stays. And it stays. And it says, boy, he spread out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He suspends the earth 
over nothing. It hangs out there all by itself. And all these other planets somehow just hang there by themselves. And they kind of like spin in their own orbit. Who organized that? And yet we say there is no God. And yet there's an order to universe. And he says even nature itself declares that he is. That if you look up at the stars, if you look up, you recognize somebody put all this stuff in its place and organized it. God planned it. God planned it. It points only that God has the ability to exist in nothingness. He has no need of external support. He is all sufficient in and of himself. He needs nothing outside to exist. And therefore we hear in Exodus chapter 14 there, we're able to hear in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 14, when he said, and Moses said, when I go to Pharaoh, who should I say that sent me? He said, I am. I am that I am. There's another way of saying that in the Hebrew. I will be who I am. I will be what I am. And guess what? You can't change it. You can't change it. I am that I am. And no man can change it. As much as we try to reshape God and change God, we can't change it. And he says, I am that I am. Catch that. He's an awesome God. I am that I am. And in Revelation 22, 13, he simply says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and Omega. And what we can't answer, and this is what often comes to mind, even as a child and even as an adult, who made God? God is not threatened by that question because it comes back, I am who I am. Either you can accept it or reject it, but one day you shall understand that I am, for you will see me. And you will know that I am. There's so many empty areas, but there are so many more areas that God has answered for us that we need to take hold of and we need to understand. He says, let us make man. And when he made that statement, let us make man, God understood that if he gave man free will, from that very moment, he understood that man would need a redeemer. He understood from the very moment that he said, let us make man. And if he gives man free will and free choice, that he was going to need a deliverer. Just like a child with free choice and freedom to do whatever they want to do, they will mess up their life. Without having somebody instilling morals or instilling a holiness or instilling self-respect or instilling character into their life without somebody there to direct, 
and set guidelines and boundaries, they would destroy their life. And God recognizes that about us. Without his intervention, without him speaking to us, without him giving us guidance, without him giving us understanding, without him giving us instruction and teaching us, we would destroy ourselves. We would utterly destroy ourselves without him. I want you to turn with me to Acts 17. In this those section, we're going to see that man needs God. Acts 17, 24 through 25. It says, it makes a, a statement about God, but it also leaves us with understanding we have a need. We have a need. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. There's nothing that we could build that God has need of for shelter or place. Let's go a little further. And he is not served by human hands. Catch that. He is not served. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Whatever we give to God, whatever we sacrifice to God, whatever we think we're doing, we're really doing that for our own adoration, for our own Ability to see that we're being disciplined and we are obedient unto him. We're not doing it to give him anything per se because he has need of nothing. But in my giving, I am being obedient to what he has required of me. And the issue will be, will I be obedient? In my doing, it's in my area, am I obedient unto him? Am I disciplining my life in such a way that it honors him? And what we're not understanding, every rule that he has given, every instruction he has given, is not so much to be a blessing to him as it is to be a blessing to us. When I tell my children, you had to be home by 11 o'clock, it wasn't to, to help me, per se. It wasn't to keep me safe. It wasn't to keep me out of trouble. It was for their good. Because anything after that 11 o'clock hour, I already knew was not going to be what? Healthy for them. Good for them. Expedient for them. Our children think, boy, when you put rules on them, you're taking something, what? Away from them. And they don't see that you're adding something to their life. 
And oftentimes as individuals, we don't see the instructions of God as being something that is being added in a positive way into our lives rather than taken away from our lives. And he says he has no need of anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. What did he just say about man? Man has a great need. For he is the one that gives man life. He is the one that gives man breath. And then he just sums it up. I give you everything you have need of. Everything that you have need of. Showing that we are a people in great need. In need of him. Of need of him. Don't see God as weak. Don't see God as someone who's in need of what you have to give or your praises or your worship or whatever you do. Don't see God as somebody that needs that. Understand this. He is not a weak God. He is not a weak God. But we are weak. And we have a great need. We are weak. When we see Jesus in the manger, oftentimes we forget that he pre-existed. We see him as a baby born in Bethlehem. But what we often don't see is God's plan being enacted. What we don't see is that God doing something marvelous. That this God who has no need is providing what we have need of. A savior, a redeemer. And most of all, to recognize that we are loved by him. So in John, St. John 1.1, it says that the word was with God in the beginning, declaring that Jesus Christ already existed. Turn to John 8 with me to see it a little clearer. When John is speaking to the Pharisees and they are challenging him with Abraham and he speaks that Abraham rejoiced in even seeing his day. And oftentimes we forget that. And verse 54 is where I want to start at. In John 8. Let me go to verse 54 is where we're going to start. Just follow me in scripture with it. And you can read this whole chapter 8. And this debate that takes place. But in 54 it says, Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Now, now catch 55 and listen to what he's going to say. Because he's telling about his pre-existence. In 55 he says, though you do not know him, I what? I know him. Though you have not seen God, I've seen God. Though you have not really talked with God, I've talked with God. I've seen him. 
I've been with them. I spent time with them before you ever were. God and I were buddying around together. We were seeing each other. Catch what he's really saying here. Though you do not know him, I know him. I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do. I know him and keep his word. Catch 56 now. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Listen to their reply. Human reasoning comes into play now. You are not yet 50 years old. See, sometimes older folks, we say that to our young kids, don't we? You're not even 20 years old yet. You're not even 30 years old. But yet you're acting like you know what? And you haven't lived long enough to know anything. And, and, and he says this in a way to the fair. He says, boy, you're not even 50 years old. The Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, what? I am. Before Abraham ever took one breath, I am. I'm existing before Abraham ever was born. I'm existing. Jesus declaring this. I'm existing before Abraham was ever born. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. Because what is he saying? I'm God. I'm eternal. I was before. Abraham. Catch that picture of him. God plans to help humanity. And oftentimes in this age in which we're living, we reject that. That we need help from God. We have all this modern day technology. We have all these miracle drugs. We have all these doctors with knowledge. We have all of this that is taking place around us. And we need God. See, there was a time I couldn't fly, but now I can jump on a plane and I can fly like a bird. Until that plane starts what? <laughs> when everything, when anything gets imperfect or not acting the way we're supposed to act, then all of a sudden we want to cry out to who? to God but what we need to understand that God's plan is to help humanity from its self afflicted destruction its pain its hurts and its sorrows not placed upon us by God but what we have done to ourselves 
We afflict ourselves with pain. We afflict ourselves with hurt. We afflict ourselves with sorrows. And Jesus Christ came to take that pain, that hurt, and those sorrows upon himself. And oftentimes we reject that. We reject the one who has come to help us. In Genesis 3.15, go back there with me. See if we can make a connection here. It speaks about after Adam and Eve had made their mistake or their failure or taken of the fruit and God now is speaking with them after they have sinned, disobeyed him, rebelled against him. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The last part speaking of Jesus Christ. But the first part he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Two things. You have the woman who is the physical woman who will give birth to the child of Christ. But you have the woman in the book of Revelation who represents Israel. And the dragon stands over as she waits to give birth to kill the child. And then you have in Matthew too, of Herod who sends forth his soldiers after they have heard of the birth of Christ to kill every child from birth to two years old. But what he says here is, is enmity between the heirs of the woman or the seeds of the woman and that which is of Satan. Already God is declaring there will be children of who? Children of Satan and children of the seed of the woman that comes from Jesus Christ. And he says there will be enmity between them. And that word enmity means hostility. So there is hostility between the believer and the unbeliever. There is hostility between those who are saved and those who are not saved. There is hostility between those who will live righteously and those who choose to live an unholy life. And he declares this. that there would be such. And because of such a declaration, he also declares that he will send someone who would defeat the serpent or defeat Satan. And he simply says that he will crush the head and you will strike his heel. Now, stay with me in thought. 
And I said in Revelation 12, 4 through 6, you can read about the woman, whether it be Israel or whether it be that this seed will come through a woman. But I want you to catch most of all is this, that God is putting a plan in action. He states it in Genesis 3.15, but it doesn't take place for hundreds of years later when Christ comes as a child in a manger. When Christ comes and he's given birth by a virgin. Now I want you to understand something that he makes this very clear to us of his plan. Turn to Revelations 13 with me in verse 8. I want you to catch something that God states, and oftentimes we might just overlook it, but it states something that God then has to do from the very beginning of time. And it shows that this wonderful God sets forth this plan way before the foundations of this earth. In verse 8, Revelation 13, it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Now catch this next. Of whose name has not been written in the book of life. Belonging to the Lamb. Now, I want you to catch the sentence that follows. That was slain from the creation of when? Of the world. That this was planned before the foundations of this world was ever laid. That Christ would come as a child. Grow up with this purpose. To give his life on Calvary for you and I. That God enacted this plan. Before the world was ever created. This is an awesome God. This is a God who sees our need. This is God who recognizes we need a redeemer. We need a savior. We need someone. And he says he does it. Even beforehand. He sets this plan in place. Turn over to 1 Peter 1.20. Just see it a little bit further. 1 Peter 1.20. Because he makes a similar statement in 1 Peter. He says, he was chosen before the creation of the world. So this plan is laid out. Even before earth and heaven was even formed. Catch the foreknowledge of our God. Catch the omniscience of our God. Understand when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And he knows everything that takes place in between. And he says that he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Was revealed in these last times. 
And in Galatians 4.4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God had a time, but God's working his plan. God's working his plan. God's working his plan. Turn to Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Because don't think it to be strange that God would use a virgin. But understand this. This would not be the first woman to give birth outside of wedlock. But understand this. This is the first woman to give birth without having an intimate relationship with another man. So all the world could think of was, boy, an adulteress. All the world could think of was a harlot. All the world could think of, Kevin, hey, let's stop that. And that's all the world could think of at that point. And he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Understand. A virgin, he said, boy, and this was about a battle that was going to take place. And Ahab was supposed to give God something that would say, this is the sign, this is what, and he would not. So God gives the sign. A virgin will be with child. A virgin will be with child. And then over in chapter 9, boy, what takes place here? Go to verse 6. God's plan. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now catch this. And the government would be what? on his shoulders. What does the government do? It sets the standards. It sets the rules. It sets the regulations. It gives the protection. And it all would be upon the shoulder of who? Of Jesus Christ. And it goes on and it says, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor. And he will be called the Mighty God. God's plan in revealing his son. In revealing his son to us. That he would come as a babe. Born of a virgin. But the government of the kingdom of God. Would rest upon him. And that he would be the one. Who would counsel us. And that he would be the one. That would be looked upon. As the mighty God. The everlasting father the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan has done a work in hiding Christ from the world. So during this Christmas season, you won't hear much about Christ. Even on the TV stories about Christmas, it's about love relationships, not about Christ. 
It's about something else, but not about Christ. You will even hear the people as you're out shopping, not talking about Jesus Christ, but about all the gifts and this and that and everything else. And you will hear people, numerous people saying to you, happy holidays, happy holidays. Because why? Satan is hiding who? Christ. And he's doing an excellent job over the years of even silencing us. That we can't even put a simple little nativity scene out that depicts the birth of Christ without a whole bit not a hoopla. Satan has taken away all the stories of going downtown in any city or any town and walking through and seeing the story of Christ. It's, it's been removed. You can hardly pick up a Christmas book and read the story of the birth of Christ. It's about something else. And even we in the church any longer, we don't sing Christmas carols during the month of December or around this time. We're still singing other things, but we're not singing what? The Christmas hymns. And we wonder why our young children are not singing Silent Night. We're wondering why our children are not singing the Christmas carols. Because we don't sing them in the church any longer. Satan has done a marvelous job in exing Jesus out of Christmas. Let me give you just four things in closing here before we go to communion. That if you can put on your mind, number one, it is not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas. It really is Merry Christmas. It's about Christ being born. It is to remind us that Christ is born. A Savior is born. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And the first part of Christmas is Christ. It's Christ. And we need to tell everybody we can say it to. Merry Christmas. Not Happy Holiday. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I know sometimes we feel pressure or compelled to say what? Happy holidays, but Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Second thing, it is not a time to give a bunch of gifts. We've gotten caught up into the gift issue, the, the giving issue. That is so important for us to give a gift rather than giving the gift of gifts, the Lord Jesus Christ which is the greatest gift of all. We're so busy out shopping for this and getting ready to give this that here's a world out here that's dying that needs the greatest gift of all, the unspeakable gift, the one that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. And the sad part about Christmas, yes, we will gather around our trees in our homes and open up gifts, but many of our children will not know the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. If they could be as excited about Christ as they are about what's in that package, 
it would be a wonderful Christmas. But we've taught them to be excited about what's in the package and what's a material thing that they're excited about for only a month or a week and then don't even know where they put it. Rather than the greatest gift of all that would stay with them all their life. The Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is not about us showing love to everyone else. And yes, we should show them love. But what we miss is this. God has revealed his love to us in Jesus Christ. That God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That God loved you and I while we were yet his enemies, while we were rebelling against him, fighting against him, God loved us. Yes, we are to love, but the greatest love that people need to recognize and see today is the love of Christ. The love that God has given unto them through Jesus Christ. And to understand this, God saw their greatest need before they were ever born. And God had planned for that need to be taken care of before he ever created heaven and earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And that the greatest thing of all is not that we praise him. And yes, we ought to. And yes, we should. But the greatest thing of all and the most amazing thing of all is that he loves you and me. That he loves you and me. That he loves you and me. And out of that love comes this unspeakable gift. This baby in a manger. This baby who would give unto you and me eternal life. Christmas is not about us. Christmas is not about our happiness. Christmas is not about our joy. Christmas is not about these gifts under the tree. Christmas is about a savior that the world desperately has need of. And until the Christian changed their attitude about Christmas, the world will not change it. We need to refocus anew on the real meaning of Christmas. And that starts in each one of our families that it's about Jesus. It's about the love of God. 
It's about a Savior that God has given unto us that is born in Bethlehem. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O God, that you declare unto us that, Lord, you are an all-sufficient God and you have no need, but, Lord, we are a people of great need. And we are a people who have need of a savior. We have a need of a deliverer. We have a need of a redeemer. And you have provided for us, oh God, in the person of Jesus Christ. And let us, oh God, as being your people, be able to balance this thing of Christmas and the gifts. But let us once again really focus on the real true meaning of Christmas, that it's about Jesus Christ. Let us not lose sight of that. Let us not lose sight that, Lord, this is a month, O oh God, that people should be focused, that, Lord, that you gave unto us in the form of a child, a Savior born in Bethlehem. One who would redeem us. One who would die for our sins. And may we be conscious that, Lord, this just didn't happen. This just didn't come up as a spare of a moment thought by you. But, Lord, it was planned before heaven and earth was ever created. Because you knew what our need would be. You knew that we would need you. You knew that we would need a deliverer. We knew that we would need someone, oh God, to redeem us from our sin. Lord, may you, oh God, speak to our hearts anew and afresh during this month. Open up the Christmas story anew to us. Let us see it differently, oh God. And may we express and show forth a different attitude. And where we need to repent, help us to repent. Where we need to make corrections in this season, help us to make those corrections. And Lord, help us to see that a dying world needs Jesus Christ. And we are the people who have the opportunity of giving the greatest gift of all, eternal life, which is a free gift through Jesus Christ to someone who has need of him. Bless us, I pray, Father, and strengthen us not to be ashamed of this gospel, but to tell this story correctly and what Christmas truly is about. Let us not draw back from that. That Christmas is about a savior given unto humanity through a person called Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you never accepted Christ, this is that season. This is the time to really recognize 
that he came to save. He came to redeem. He came to restore. That Jesus Christ is alive.